In the market for investment-worthy bags, watches, and fine jewelry, Rebag is the answer. Rebag is a luxury resale platform where each piece is carefully inspected by experts to ensure quality and authenticity. Use Rebag to buy and sell finds from the world's top brands, including Louis Vuitton, Chanel, and Cartier. Head to Rebag.com and get up to 15% off your first purchase as a member with code REBAGNEW. Shop today at Rebag.com. That's R-E-B-A-G.com. And use promo code REBAGNEW for up to 15% off your first purchase as a member. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. According to the World Health Organization, in 2019, 40 million people experienced bipolar disorder. However, this diagnosis usually takes 10 years to get right, and we are going to speak to someone today with lived experience to explain why. Welcome back to the What's Eating You podcast. I'm your host and psychologist, Stephanie Giorgio, and today we may be discussing sensitive topics. So trigger warning, this episode may discuss suicidal ideation, so please take care when listening and always seek professional help. Now, today is a very special episode because I have a friend of mine who I met in Bali that is going to speak to us today about a mood disorder, bipolar. I like to speak about this because I believe it's not well understood. And for those who don't know, bipolar disorder is a serious mood disorder and can be a lifelong mental health condition, and it's characterized by mood swings. The condition was formerly known as manic depression. And according to the Australian Bureau of Statistics, we report that the condition affects 2.9% of Australians aged 16 and over, or 568,000 people. So Rosie, thank you so much for being here today and welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me. Nice to see you thank again. You. How is Bali without me? Oh, it's a sad, sad place without you, obviously. It's been about... <laughs> For anyone listening, it's been about two weeks since you left me. And yeah, it's it's strange. We obviously formed a very sudden connection and then spent every day in each other's pockets. And then you left. Um, but yeah, Bali, Bali's beautiful. I mean, it's funny that we're here to discuss mental health. I feel like Bali does wonders for, for your mindset. So yeah, very grateful to be here. But sad that you're not here with me anymore. Oh, thank you. And I can't believe it's only two weeks. I feel it's been way longer than that, that I haven't been there. So just for some context, how did we meet Rosie? Take us back. We met uh, at the Body Factory, which is a gym in Bali, uh, a very famous gym for um, for its recovery area, I think. I believe we met sunbathing. I think we were introduced on the sun lounges and then um, very quickly spent all our time together. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember. I remember. So, yes, there was someone else in between us on the sunbeds, and she said to me, "You're going to absolutely love Rosie." And we're thinking of doing a girls' weekend away, and oh, we yeah. did that weekend. We said, "Let's go to Uluwatu," and we did this girls' weekend away. And it was on that trip that you disclosed that you had a diagnosis of bipolar because we were talking about sleep or medication. Is that how it came up? Yeah, for sure. So I quite, I mean, I don't often lead with it when I meet new people, probably because of all the stigma around it. I mean, it was easy and comfortable with you because you're a psychologist. So I knew you'd have a level of uh, understanding and, and no judgment. But yeah, I don't typically introduce myself and start talking about it straight away. But I think we probably got onto the topic of I take medication before I go to sleep. You asked me what medication it was. I told you. And then obviously you understanding what the medication is, I kind of had to divulge a bit further rather than just... Uh, 
Yes. <laughs> yes, and it was, do you mind me saying what it was? Oh, of course, go ahead. Yeah, so it's Seroquel. It's a medication many people take, but it is quite a heavy medication. So when you said that, I was like, whoa, like I know that's really strong. Like what's going on there? Very and strong. I was also surprised because, yes, there's a lot of stigma around bipolar. And I think when people hear the word bipolar, they just assume it's these really unstable people who are totally unhinged. And I was quite surprised when you told me you had this diagnosis. I was like, wow, like she doesn't really strike me as someone who you would expect. And that's me, a, a health professional, thinking that. So that's me noticing my own biases. But um, maybe just what I want to ask is, we know that it takes about 10 years for people to get this accurate diagnosis. Was that the experience for you? What was your journey to this diagnosis, if you don't mind sharing? No, yeah, of course. So yeah, 10 years, I think is typical. It's a statistic that you hear thrown around. And it is pretty bang on for me, actually, if you look at my medical records. Um, and it's, uh, it's an interesting one. And actually, I think if you kind of understand, I'll explain why, and then it becomes very apparent and easy to understand. But psychiatrists and doctors don't typically pick up on the diagnosis straight away, because the bipolars, there's four of them, um, which people also don't know, are defined by a polarity of moods. So you've got extreme highs and extreme lows. But obviously, I mean, and this is the obvious part that you don't think about, you never go to a health professional to complain that you're feeling really good. Like you wouldn't just be like, oh my God, I'm feeling incredible today. I better go tell my doctor about it. Like you're far too busy doing fun things, feeling amazing, you know, exploring, doing all these kind of typical things or shopping or like just feeling great about yourself. So actually when you do end up going to doctors, that's just when you're in the extreme lows. So if you look at a medical record, say you've been to a doctor and it's like the fourth time and they're looking at your sheet, they're just like, okay, well, there's one suicidal episode, there's some low mood there, there's some anxiety. They don't know that in between that, that you've had highs. So basically the the record shows sadness. um, So you get diagnosed with all kinds of other things. So specifically for me, over a span of about 10 years, I had diagnoses of major depressive disorder, generalized anxiety disorder, complex trauma, and then eventually uh, around the 10-year mark, bipolar affective, and then later psychothemia. So, um, you know, my issues started presenting as early as 11 years old, and I would say they progressed as I was a teenager, and then they kind of erupted as a series of breakdowns as a young adult, and it really wasn't um, until those breakdowns were happening, the quite severe episode, suicidal ideation, that I actually managed to get a correct diagnosis. But even that took some time and some pushing, basically. Yeah, you. I remember you said I had to actually advocate for myself and I pretty much self-diagnosed. Yeah, yeah, which is kind of crazy in a sense. Um, and I used to, I used to not talk to people about this or want to admit it because I would worry that people would kind of question the validity of my diagnosis like oh what you decided yourself you're bipolar like cool like how does that work um and I think now I want people to question my diagnosis I have a much different uh perspective on how we should look at mental health I do believe everything should be perceived as a spectrum that you could ebb and flow against. And I think there was a point where I wore my label on my sleeve, right? I I kind of defined myself by mental illness. Like when you're a young person, everyone wants to be someone. And I suppose, you know, I decided amongst my peers, I was just going to identify as like the mentally ill one, as strange as that is to say it out loud. But it, it was how I felt. That just kind of felt like me because I'd had so many diagnoses at this point. But to your point, yeah, it's it's true. So at the peak of my last suicidal episode, which was years ago now, I basically marched into a psychiatrist's office and I said, look, you just need to look at my medical notes and just tell me I don't have bipolar because basically I'd been put on a string of antidepressants over the years when I was younger and none of them had worked because they don't work for people with mood disorders. Like you need a different type of medication. Um, so, they made it worse. Did you get worse from antidepressants? I mean, hard to say from memory, but yeah, basically nothing was getting better. I was still acting very strangely, had unusual behaviours, or I felt groggy, or I was just incredibly depressed. And obviously the antidepressants weren't working. And, you know, I I went to university and studied psychology. I really wanted to understand my brain. I wanted to understand the brain of people around me, lots of mental health issues. Um, And so I was kind of I was equipped with the information I needed when I started studying psychology and I learned about the bipolars. I was like, oh, I'm definitely recognizing some of my life experience there. Um, But at the time, being a young person at university, that was I was furious with doctors at this stage. Like I 
systems. Mm. I was an early teenager. I'd, I had so many different doctors um, and they'd all obviously, they hadn't helped me and I was sick of medications and I'd kind of grown quite passionately aggressive about hating the pharmaceutical industry. I was just like, you know, this is all bullshit. They're just trying to sell drugs. And I was reading a lot of books that were kind of like making me that kind of activist. Um, so when I recognized in uni that I probably had bipolar, I was like, you know what, fuck it. Like, it's just another label. I'm just going to ride these moods out. Didn't do anything about it. I then went on to go traveling and I had more life experiences, but by my third breakdown, so my first breakdown was in college, my second was in uni, and then my third was off the back of a big um, trip. I did a two-year trip traveling the world. So that third trip, I had my a suicidal mm-hmm. episode at the end of it. I was in, funnily enough, I was in Indonesia, and I remember it was the lowest of all lows, and I had to fly home, basically, and I remember saying to my mom, I, I need to go on medication now, and that was a really big deal for me because I'd been quite passionately against it. And so that was when I marched into a psychiatrist's office and was like, look, I've got bipolar and like, you need to help me now. Like, I'm I'm done with this. I'm tired. It's, t- it's 10 years of mental health issues. It's three suicidal episodes. It's like, I'm sick of it. And um, and yeah, he just agreed with me. He was like, all right, let's let's try a mood stabilizer. And then he put me on quetiapine, um, which is Seroquel in Australia. Yeah. And um, and that was a pivotal part. That was a pivotal part of me getting better. Um, and I kind of had to push for it myself, which is wow! Oh yeah. my gosh, so much to unpack. And I yeah. think it was so interesting. You were so against the pharmaceutical industry. You were against medication, and there is there is this stigma around medication. But there are some conditions that are so brain based and biological that they do require certain medications to to help with that. But you went through this whole period of having you know what we call unmanaged. Um, bipolar but you traveled you did all this these things how did you know when you had the manic or hypermanic episodes because you were saying oh you don't go to the doctor when you're feeling amazing how often did you have these amazing episodes because to get a diagnosis you only need to ever have experienced one and many people don't know that they're having them yeah 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 so interesting question uh so with the bipolars you've got Bipolar 1, bipolar 2, cyclothemia and rapid cycling. So bipolar 1 is defined by manic episodes and depressive episodes. Bipolar 2, which is actually what I was diagnosed with, bipolar effective 2, you've got depressive episodes and hypermanic episodes. Um, So I can only really speak for hypermania. And, I mean, bipolar 2 is also characterized by far more lows than highs. So I was in kind of an unfortunate bracket whereby actually my experience of bipolar, I can recognize far more times when I've been incredibly depressed in my life or suicidal than I can remember the hypermanic ones. However, I do remember them. And it's it's a lovely feeling, actually. I mean, I used to kind of joke with people when I when I can joke about it, that like hypermania is the real bonus of the diagnosis because (laughs) diagnosis bonus. I love that. Feels bloody lovely, to be honest. You feel quite special. Um, It's like extreme arrogance. You know, it's almost like you feel like a light shining out of you. You feel quite magnetic. People love you. You want to be around you. Uh, you know you're going to achieve all your dreams. I mean, it's not dangerous in the way that mania, no, correct? Bipolar one is like hypermania. People are like, kind of like, yeah, okay, like, go ahead, go and feel good. I mean, it can get, it can get irritable. Like, say, like you're not in the right environment to feel that way. Like, mm. kind of, how would I describe it? Okay, say like you've had like too much coffee and you're. Just tr- you have to like sit in a room still or something like that. Like sometimes when you feel like a bundle of joy and energy, you kind of want to be able to go and travel the world. Like I can remember hypermanic episodes when I was traveling and I'm literally running around Rio de Janeiro, like one of the, like supposedly one of the most dangerous cities in the world. And I'm literally running around like a 22 year old girl backpack on my back. just like having the best time, like speaking to everyone, trusting everyone. Cause I'm like, the world's just so amazing. I feel so amazing. Wow. Um, but I still have my senses about me. You know, it wasn't mania. I wasn't going to go and jump off a building or like spend all my money. So yeah, I can recognize those times. And, you know, sometimes I'm like, damn, like I wish these mood stabilizers I was on still kind of allowed me to get there. Like not that I'm never not happy. I'm a very happy person now, but sometimes that level of kind of arrogance can really help you in life. (laughs) Oh, and how many people take drugs to get that? How many people take cocaine? How many people take, medication uh, not medication drugs and substances to get that 
elevation. Yeah, a synthetic hire that makes you feel special. It's it's lovely. <laughs> I love that. So it's not even people just think, oh, it's just energy. You've got all this energy, you're super excited, but it's it's more than that. It's a inflated sense of, you know, uh <laughs> important. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I like I like to think when I look back on it, because I can think of a few times, I can think of who I was with, and I'm like, I, I still in my head, I'm like, no, they definitely really liked me. Like, I definitely was making a good impression. But it would be interesting to go back and ask them, like, did you like me? Or did you think that I was just like, wild? Because, because I'm like, super chappy, chatty, like, let's do this, let's do that, you know, like, kind of, quite, quite uh, risk taking, I would say not in a dangerous way, but like, maybe slightly more than I would be on on my day to day. Yeah, that's so interesting. You know what? I think just tell yourself you were liked and everything. Because <laughs> when you are like that, people <laughs> gravitate towards you. People do like you. People are feeding well, off that energy. Everyone likes a happy person. So <laughs> so I like to think that, yeah, I like to think it's all good. Didn't embarrass myself too much. <laughs> How interesting. And you picked on something really key there. Hypomania, which is in bipolar 2, the depressive episodes are worse. So we sometimes refer to bipolar 2 as the less severe form of bipolar because the mania is hypermania. It's not as quote-unquote dangerous. But yeah. the lows are actually more debilitating in bipolar 2. How long typically would you be in a low mood for? Because we know major depressive disorder is at least two weeks. Uh, yeah, God. Uh, my my depressive episodes last in months sometimes. So I dropped out of my first let's call it breakdown not my first depressive um not my first experience of depression as I said I was quite unfortunate in that I was depressed quite early on in my life but my first debilitating period of months I dropped out of college uh, and I couldn't go back until I went back nine months later but that was after yeah maybe six months of of real bad depression and, and a suicidal period um for me yeah it was it was never just a couple of weeks it was always a, a few months um and uh just kind of it's it, it's weird because it creeps up on you uh and then suddenly you're in it and it's and it's really difficult really difficult to get out of it and like just quite um you know there was always I, my mom I, I always come back to my mom with this question because she used to know before I knew like I'd be like no I'm okay I'm fine and and my mom it's embarrassing to say this out loud but my mom was like no because you've started to smell and what she meant by that was like I just stopped caring about my myself like I was sleeping more often I was showering less you know I'm like 18 years old or whatever like I should I should be care I should care at this point you know I'm supposed to be out there with my friends fancying boys and I just didn't really want to leave the house instead I would just kind of like I, I was more comfortable being asleep than I was being awake um and I just kind of like become very reclusive and I'd say you know could, at the beginning before I'd really noticed how bad it had gotten it would just be like oh you know I just can't be bothered I'm just kind of you know I'm a little bit antisocial. as I said it was like mental health was kind of like my I was yeah. like this is just my personality but then suddenly I'm like anxiety ridden crying through the night complete like having it's a very empty hollow feeling it's like there's no hope on earth there's nothing left for you and then what comes along with that is then feelings of guilt and shame that you shouldn't mm-hmm. feel like that, especially like, you know, I'm a person of reasonable intelligence. I was always, I remember always coming back to the fact that I'm like, Jesus Christ, like I'm white middle-class family objectively, like I'm a smart person. Like, and then I'd be like, why can't I pull myself together? Like, why do I feel yeah. like I don't want to exist anymore when actually life has granted me so many opportunities um I've got an autistic younger brother who's far less able than me and I just used to beat myself up about it I'd get really like what the hell Rosie like go and make the most of life do things that your brother can't do but I was just Mm. I I could I couldn't I couldn't physically do it and um yeah and this would last for, for months and months and months Oh my gosh. And it would make you just feel even worse with those. Yeah, the longer it goes on, the longer it goes on, the worse you feel. And every suicidal episode gets worse because actually when you do manage to kind of come out the other side. So I think people sometimes just to caveat this with think that bipolar is a complete yo-yo of like, you're high, then you're low, you're high, then you're low. Not the case at all. You can have quite neutral periods in between. That's what I wanted to ask. So with bipolar, are you either in mania, hypermania or depression or do you have um, periods of neutral mood? Yeah, I call it neutral. Yeah, there was definitely periods. I can can think, you know, I say like, God, I've 
was on that mental health journey for 10 whole years, maybe longer. And that's true. Now, it's not the case that within those 10 years, I never felt like on a baseline. I did. And I can think of periods where I was happy, but not hypermanic. And I was sad, but I was just kind of normally sad, you know, because maybe... I don't know, I had a crush on someone I didn't fancy me back. Do you know what I mean? Like, there was definitely periods of like kind of a baseline, a neutral, feeling almost neurotypical, let's say. But um, yeah, there was unfortunately months on end where the, dep- the depression would last. And then hypermania, I would wish I could say it lasted months, but it, it was usually about a week or two. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the highs are much less shorter. <laughs> duration. And I like what you said, it creeps up on you. And I think this really is the key to management is knowing what are my early signs. And you said just neglecting the basic self-care, neglecting the shower, neglecting your friends, not wanting to go out, not wanting to do those basic things. And then before you know it, all those little things accumulate and you're you're not getting out of bed. So is that part of your prevention at the moment is noticing your early signs and intervening early? So, I mean, I'm pretty lucky at the moment. And as I said, it was the, the second I got the right medication was quite pivotal in, in turning my life around. And I take these mood stabilizers. I take them every single night. And it's not only the result of the mood stabilizers. I've put quite a lot of um, healthy practices in place yes. to make sure that I, I don't now uh, go either way. I mean, because I think it's OK. So I, I like to kind of explain this in a more tangible way as to how I managed to kind of get out of where I was because for 10 years like there was a point in my life maybe if you told me when I was 20 maybe even up to 22 if you'd have told me you're going to live past 30 years old you're going to be super happy you're actually going to be someone that wakes up and is like so happy they're alive and you're going to go for everything and you're not going to feel low mood again I'd have been like that doesn't sound very realistic to me because it was my whole life experience that I remembered for as long as I could remember I was someone that really was like always struggling. And with every next episode, I was like, this is just one step closer to the day that I basically kill myself, which is a horrible Mm -hmm. thing to say. Um, But if you like, I'll explain, let's explain it in a tangible way. So the way I feel like with depression is if you think of like your mood, let's explain it like a physical phenomenon. Like if you think of your mood as yourself, like a little self, then the way I can explain depression is like you're being pinned down. So like you're being pinned down by say, like we'll call it like a blanket of like dark thoughts. And what I mean is like, you're literally on the ground, all your limbs, you can't feasibly get up. And so it's all very well people saying to you like, okay, well, um, why don't you do some exercise? Why don't you change your diet? Why don't you meditate? Blah, blah, blah. But if you're physically pinned down, like there's like, you're like, that's all very well in you telling me that, but how? Because I can't move. And how I feel I kind of managed to peel the blanket out back was with the medication. So the medication kind of comes along, little hand, unpins you, peels the blanket back, and then you can kind of get out. What I think, where I think people get stuck is it's like they climb out from under the blanket with the help of maybe the meds, but then they just sit on top of it. And it's just like this constant reminder. And I feel like that is the worst part because you're kind of like, okay, here I am. I'm on my medication. I have this kind of disorder that I've been given, this label that I've been given, and it's kind of constantly around me. And yeah, okay, maybe I can function a bit more now, um, but I'm still very much, it's still very, it's still very much in my periphery, it's in my environment. Whereas I feel like what you have to do as soon as you've kind of got up from underneath that blanket with the help of the medication, or at least what I did is like just physically sprint away from it. And I did that by putting a lot of healthy practices in. So I meditate regularly. I eat well, you know, I'm a freak for exercise. It's basically my whole personality. I, you know, I, I do all those things that people tell you to do. And therefore, you know, you ask me, how do you see the signs? I don't see them anymore, but that's because I spend a big, big, big chunk of my life making sure that I'm physically running the other way from this fucking blanket that could pin me down. Sorry, I keep swearing on your podcast. You're allowed to swear. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, it's it's kind of like I I don't recognize those things in myself anymore. And there's two parts to that. There's the part where it's like, okay, I've got the mood stabilizers. They're obviously helping me. But there's also the part of like, actually, I know that for myself to be the base level of happiness or actually, you know, I think I'm a very happy person now. I have to put a lot of you know, I have to do a lot of things just to maintain that. And, you know, one of them is exercise. Another mm. one is meditation. I mean, the first time I meditated successfully, I pretty much sobbed afterwards because I was like, maybe I was like 20 years old. 
Yeah. years old. I was like, I have never, ever, ever thought that I could clear my mind. It never even occurred to me that my mind could be blank for like a second or, or quiet. You know, let's use the word quiet. Because I just literally had like a monologue of like self-hatred and anxiety since I was so young, which is incredibly sad. And I think, you know, some people think, you know, when meditation suggested to people that feel unwell in the way I did, it's like, oh, no, that's hippy dippy shit. You know, how am I supposed to do that? But it's not explained from a neuroscience perspective. And like, actually, it's just about rewiring your mind to be kind of quite present and not worry about all those things you're worrying about and not considering that your thoughts are just thoughts. Um, so yeah, so that was a bit of a tangent, but I don't, I don't recognize the symptoms anymore because I don't actually relate to my diagnosis anymore because I've done so much to walk away from it. Yeah. And I, I love that blanket metaphor. I think it's so true. I think medication can definitely be a key for many people to just put them at a level where they're able to engage in therapeutic strategies and techniques because. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Everything feels too hard and overwhelming when you're in a low mood and it you're paralyzed. Exactly. You don't want to do anything, but you do. You do so many things to maintain good mental health. Even when we were together, like we do things together. We would exercise together. We did, you know, the breath work classes you did a lot more than me um you eat well and you have a really good relationship with food that's something I really noticed uh in you as well but that's all the physical stuff how do you deal with the negative self-talk how do you deal with the negative thoughts because I feel that's something that never really fully goes away we all experience it but did you do any like cognitive therapy or how do you deal with the the mean in a dog yeah, I think it's taken a it's taken a while to reach the cliche of kind of like loving yourself. I think meditation was a huge step in that. Uh, I did I did try CBT during that ten year period. You know, obviously I was asked I was asked to do many things by doctors, not just do medication. They did ask CBT. I actually hated CBT. It didn't work for me. Yeah, well, wow. I, I maybe it was the wrong person. The, my experience, my memory of it, I was very young, so I you know tell me if I'm wrong thinking about the wrong thing but they wanted me to keep a diary of my um my thoughts and my feelings and I just remember to come back to the metaphor I'm pinned down under a blanket of doom of darkness I haven't I can't move my arm I can't do the like obviously I literally in life could move my arm but I didn't have the energy to write my moods down I certainly didn't want to write down today I wish I was dead and then read that do you know what I mean it was just yeah, like it wasn't really the right was. time it sounds like it wasn't the right time for anyone wondering CBT is cognitive behavioral therapy which means your cognitions are your thoughts so it's about recognizing your thoughts your thoughts affect how you feel so for example if you have a thought like I'm disgusting and worthless you're going to feel bad and then because you feel bad you're going to stay in bed or you're going to binge eat etc and that's a vicious cycle so what and you're right when someone is deep in suicidal ideation or in a super, super low mood, 
CBT may not be effective because they're not even aware of what their thoughts are. It's too dark to see out. So I think it sounds like it wasn't the right time for you. No, it wasn't. And, I, I, you know, to come back to it, it's even though I, I used to be that person that hated um, vouching for medication, I'm a more positive person now. So I'm like, oh, look, I will say about the pharmaceutical industry, it's an industry at the end of the day. And I feel like anyone going through the mental health journey should be aware of that and read books about that. However, they do some good in the world. And if I'm honest, it wasn't until I got the right medication, and I think this is pretty typical for bipolar, that I was able to start doing things that worked for me because nothing worked until that blanket came off. I mean, and then if I think about my mindset and how I've got to where I am, I think just doing all those things that, you know, that we've touched on, exercise, release more endorphins. And then, you know, because I exercised furiously and, and got kind of into it, I then got in good shape, which then, you know, really helped the way I thought about myself. And yes, the more stuff you do for your own personal growth, the easier it is to like yourself because you know that you're, you're doing your best and you're, you're trying and you're improving as a person. And I think just focusing on me and really focusing on me. Like I, I remember maybe seven years ago, I just got qualified as a personal trainer and I was going to do that as a profession. And then it's obviously like the fitness kind of um, was booming online and I did it for, I think it was 20 days posting online. And then I just remember being like, Oh my God, social media is so bad for my mental health. Like, and yes. I had to and I had to think about it and be like, who am I? Am I someone that can afford to have things that are bad for their mental health in their life? Well, no, I'm not because I'm so predisposed to feeling suicidal. So I just deleted it. And I haven't looked back because I take steps that I know are going to help me. Right. So whether that's removing social media so I don't compare myself to other people or making sure I'm staying fit and healthy in the gym or reading books to become more knowledgeable or just making sure I'm being kind to people. You know, doing all of these behaviors means that I can look at myself and say, actually, Rosie, you're, you're a pretty good person. And actually, you should be pretty proud of yourself because you've come a really long way from someone that didn't want to exist to someone yeah. that's actually like, I like myself. You know, I'm kind. I'm smart. I'm fit and healthy. Like that. The, the, the way that I got rid of the dark thoughts was by working towards being, oh, my God, the cliche, the best version of myself. Sounds <laughs> Sounds cringy. Sounds very live, love, laugh or whatever it is. But, you know, there's there's some. I used to have that quote on my wall. Why does that not surprise me, Steph? (laughs) One of those things from Bali that's like has a quote on it. Put on your wall. It's like live, laugh, life. But there was a spelling error. It was so funny. Classic in there. (laughs) Classic. Um, But you know what? When I met you, what shocked me or what's going to shock the world when they listen to this? You do not have social media. No. <laughs> that just, oh, that, that's why I liked you. When I met you, I was like, wow, she's like from the olden days. She's <laughs> old school. Like she reads, she groups, <laughs> she doesn't have social media. Like she has a Kindle. Like, yeah. wow, she's like, you know. Uh, well, Kindle, yeah, Kindle's modern world. The only reason I have a Kindle is because I travel and I don't like to carry books around. I'm, yeah, I would love to. I would love to be old school. Yeah, I've got an analog watch. I've got no social media. I am pretty much living in the fifties, but it's it's peaceful. It's I'm you know it's and nice. You are I, peaceful. I am peaceful. I'm very calm. I'm not a very you know. I used to God, Steph. When I think back to like my teenage years, I used to have very public panic attacks and they came from nowhere I just suddenly got overwhelmed overwhelmingly anxious and I, I can think of times I was like hiding in the corner of a shopping center having a full-on breakdown like falling to the floor in tears I couldn't breathe done it on a train did it in uh, did it in college this is someone that I just could not keep a base level like my anxiety was so bad and now you've seen me get anxious because uh look I don't I, so anyone listening I don't drink a lot anxiety. another thing. Yeah, so I don't drink a lot, another another way to protect my mental health. But every now and then I do because I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fun person. I like to have fun. But the, the anxiety creeps back in the morning, right? So you, you see me, you've seen me on occasions where I've drank the next day. But that's the only time that I can think now where I'm not at that base level calm. Because most of the time I'm doing all those good things, right? And then every now and then yeah. I slip up and I have too many tequilas and then you, you saw me. I, I was pacing up and down the garden, wasn't I? I was literally like, I can't handle and my like, brain. I think right I now. said something last night and what if this person knows I said this and what if they think I said that? And I'm like, Rosie, relax. They were probably drunk. Yeah, exactly. And that's you know what? Even if brain. that happens, you're going to be fine. Even if yeah. 
Yeah, thing. but it's funny. That's that's when my brain just kind of defaults back to this person that I recognised from years ago, where I was just constantly like the heart was going and I was trembling and I was just yeah, scarily un, unsettled all the time. But would you say now, if you got those symptoms, are you as freaked out by them, or you are you more like, oh, that's anxiety. I can manage it now. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I can recognize my thought patterns really well. Like if I am, if I am feeling anxious, I'll like take note of it and I'll be like, what's driving this? Where is it coming from? If I'm feeling sad, and I think this is really important, especially if there's people that are listening to this to try and see if they have bipolar, like potentially Mm. looking for self-diagnosis. It's not just about feeling sad. Like, yeah, I still have sad days. Like, like I said earlier, have sadness is a, a natural reaction like you can you know you lose someone uh, and you grieve and that's normal or you have a, a you fuck up at work and you're pissed off at yourself and you get or you get upset because your friend's done something like these are natural reactions as people we've got to go through the spectrum of emotions it's just noticing it and noticing why you feel like that and is it okay and and there's definitely if you if you're feeling sad and it's just a case of like it's linked to your own self-worth like you really don't like yourself and you feel hopeless well then yeah that that I think with that's when we start to look towards a mental illness because there's no actually been triggered by something tangible like an event that you should feel sad about um but yeah I'm pretty good at recognizing that in myself now but it's taken years of practice like I've I've, mental health has been such a prominent feature in my life that I more than anyone will observe my own thoughts right because I'm looking out for it because I have to because I'm not going back under the blanket of doom I don't like it I'm running away from it (laughs) you're very self-aware and I think this is something we spoke about in in Bali is just how we are both so aware of our thoughts our feelings our emotions what's going on and how we um we had a bit of a giggle about all of the the woo woo stuff in Bali, all of like the healing, going into a forest and screaming and dancing and doing all this weird stuff. And not that it's weird, I, I'm so open to trying it and doing this, but I think the perception of what it means to heal and what it means to process your trauma, people think, oh, I need to go to Ubud and scream in a forest. I need to go get a, a healing by a what are they called like a healer or a master or you know a monk in the forest but like what do you think what do you think actually doing the work versus someone who says they they do the work looks like yeah that's an interesting one it does obviously come up quite a lot in Bali I think we we won't go too far down this path but there's a lot of people claiming (laughs) to be a lot of people claiming to be coaches and maybe not practicing what they preach yeah um, everyone's on their own their own journey with this stuff I feel like look when you have a mental health issue and you you know and it's got so bad that you've reached suicidal levels you don't really have a choice in this you have to do the healing like I feel like I'm I'm very blessed and lucky that I was always in a situation where uh, even though I okay so let's I was suicidal I did want to die I had a lot to live for because I have this kind of incomprehensibly large love for my mum and my brother. So to me, I was just like, I couldn't fathom the idea of putting my mum and my brother, my family in a situation where they'd lost me. So I I would, for me, I I remember this thought coming up a lot. I personally was like, I would rather suffer than than do something that makes them suffer. So I always had, I always had that to hold on to, which meant I had to heal. So like, I'm not healing for me. Like I understand why people commit suicide in bipolar. It gets so, so, so awful that it's like, do you know what, if you want to go, go. And I think a lot of people aren't lucky as, as lucky as I was in that I had something to live for. And that's where the risks are. But it meant I had to heal because I was like, I can't keep doing this. I can't every single year mm. go three months of wish, like wanting to sleep, wanting to not be here, missing out on life. I knew I was missing out on so much. And so it was kind of like, okay, for me, for my family, I gotta, I gotta start taking the steps now and I gotta, I've gotta start healing. And so I forced myself to do these things. I went and traveled, I you know I got on the right medication. I put myself through 10 hours of grueling exercise a week. I, I got through the awkward meditation stage where you're like, what am I doing? Am I liking this? Mm-hmm. I really transformed my life because I had to heal. Now, there's a difference between having to heal and needing to heal for yourself and for your peace and for wanting to, for, for, for the people around you, for, for coming from a place of love. That is different to wanting to heal to say that you have healed. That is different to wanting to just be like, oh, well, you know, 
social media, everyone's talking about their healing journey and what they've been through. And therefore, I've got to do that, too. And I think, you know, it's all that's where we kind of have this blurred line, especially in spiritual places or like Bali, where, all right, you, you know, you can turn up to the yoga class, but do you, are you actually doing the work? You can turn up yeah. to the breathwork class, but are you doing the work? Are you going to therapy and are you listening and are you taking away? Are you doing those things for you or are you doing those things so that you can tell people you've done them? Yes, hundred percent. The reality is, it's whether you really need it and want it or not. Like I, I didn't have a choice. Like it was, it was literally life or death for me. So I did the work, um, and I, you know, I feel like maybe certain people. If you look, if you haven't, if you're, you know, good for you. If you've not, that's so amazing. If you've never felt the depths of suicidal ideation, I wouldn't wish it on anyone. But I suppose there's not that kind of like level of necessity. And kind of that that you have to then do the work. So um, that's why we find people that potentially preach about these things without. They're any... not through it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Just be careful. Like, be careful of who you see. Be careful of the healing journey. Like you've seen doctors, psychiatrists, psychologists, years of therapy. And I oh, think no. the, he- the healing is in your daily decisions and your daily actions. Healing yeah. is about today I really want to stay in bed but I know that I need to put a foot on the floor and move in the direction of my goals. That's what therapy would tell me. That's what this would tell me, even though I don't want to. Healing is in decisions and those decisions accumulate over time. Healing is is evident in how are those person's relationships? How are those person's friendships? How is that person functioning in their occupation? How is that person functioning in their relationship with food? Like is this person who... You may be considering to work with a coach or someone. Are they a reflection on what you would think would look like healing, essentially? I know I've gone off on a tangent, but I just wanted to cover that because there's a lot of woo-woo stuff that we came across. Yeah, no, I think, yeah. And to that point, look, if you're if you're going through a, a mental health kind of crisis, or it doesn't even have to be a crisis, if you're, not, if you're just not feeling well and you're looking for help, like obviously go to a medical health professional, go to a therapist. I was in therapy for 12 years. And mm. I think of everything that has probably made me the person who I am today that's very self-aware, like we spoke about. But I think if you want to go to a coach or a life coach or someone that's telling you online or that they can help you kind of heal, my best advice from being out here is look at them, ask them about their life. I would want to yeah. know that that coach is the happiest, most successful person I know. Okay, they're allowed their own flaws, but if they come across as someone that's potentially insecure or their life's a mess or they struggle with interpersonal issues, you know, look, if they can't do it for themselves, they can't do it for you. So that would be my best advice. Love that. Love, love, love. Now, before we get on to part two, which Mm -hmm. is busting some myths, is there anything else you wish people knew about mental health or anything on the topic you want to mention yes yes this one's really important so I think you know it's all very well me coming on here and talking about bipolar but I wish what I what I understood about mental health now I understood earlier on because I believe strongly that the mind is really malleable and I feel like when you are given a diagnosis especially if you're a young person it can feel very much like you're being put in a cage and it's very limiting and every single time I got a diagnosis, I felt a bit, I felt like it was like a box I was being put in. So they put me in the major depressive box or the generalized anxiety box or, box or the complex trauma box. And that was me. And that allowed me to think a certain way about who I was and the life I was going to lead. And because of that, I just I missed out on a lot of life. And I wish people took more of the approach of like, look, this is a spectrum that we ebb and flow along. And to put this into like how real that is my most recent um psychiatric uh, assessment the the psychiatrist actually put me down as cyclothemic which is the third variation of bipolar which is basically means yeah you've got some mood swings going on but they won't impact your life anymore basically like it's not too yes. severe mild. so yeah mild so listen I've been major depressive I've been generalized anxiety I've been bipolar affective too and now I'm cyclothemic and the, the point that I'm making is I actually don't believe the label helps at all unless it gets you the medication. That's what the medication that lifted the blanket. That was the pivotal thing for me. And then I did all those other things that made me better. Now, I think we're at a place in society where people really look to labels. TikTok has had a huge influence in this, in people self-diagnosing. And I don't think it's healthy. It creates a narrative in your mind that you're always going to behave in a certain way. And I think 
don't seek out a label to be part of something or to or especially not to justify your actions or behaviors we get celebrities do this all the time they fuck up and then two weeks later it's like a pr statements like oh they're dealing with their bipolar and i'm like are you joking because like my bipolar has never made me do anything like never made me say anything racist or never made me hit someone in a club like that's not the case like you can't so like these labels that people are, are, are desperate for like you know I, I can't sit here and say there's no use to them because when I marched in and said listen I'm bipolar give me a mood stabilizer that was the point that I turned my life around however the fact that I do you know what if you'd have told me when I was 20 that my or my 25 whenever it was that my doctor was going to change my diagnosis from bipolar to cyclothemia I think I'd have been really taken back and I'd have been like, no, no, wait, what? You can't say that because bipolar is my thing. It's my label. Who I am. You can't take it away from me. I've I've built a whole life in my head around, I've built a whole sad life in my head around it. But now, like, look, I'm 30 now. I'm like, wait, wait, wait. It's psychothemia now. So it's less, it's less severe. So what you're saying is I'm everything I've done. I've got better. Yes. I I don't, I don't really fuck with the label anymore. I don't talk about it. Like I used to, I don't relate to it. And I just, I never would have imagined myself, like my younger self would be very proud of me because I identified so strongly with mental health. And now the only time I think about it is occasionally when I take my medication at night or if I forget to take my meds. So this is like a beautiful thing that happens sometimes. Sometimes I forget to take my meds because I've literally forgotten that I need them. And even though it's annoying because I'm sleep dependent on them. So I end up lying in bed for ages. When I have this moment of recollection of like, oh, fuck. I should have taken those meds that I need to take every night. It's this moment of being like, look, I'm a person that doesn't even remember they've got bipolar anymore. I'm a person that doesn't remember they've got mental health issues anymore, which is beautiful considering I spent 10 to 12 years in hell with them. So I just think the point I'm making is your diagnosis isn't a life sentence. It can change. We ebb and flow. If If you need medication to get you up from under the blanket, take the medication, but then don't sit on the blanket of doom. Just put all the things in practice. If you hate social media or it's doing you doing bad things to your brain, get off it. If you've got toxic people in your life, get rid of them. It's not worth it. You have to be happy. Like, yeah, you can feel happy. Like I, you know, I, I wanted to die once and now I just want to live. So it's just so important that people know that I think, and yeah, just do your research on the on the on the pharmaceutical industry as well. <laughs> oh my god, I got goosebumps! I absolutely love that. I think you're right. People like to fit a template, and I think a diagnosis can be an explanation, but you don't want it to be an excuse for everything. And I think a diagnosis is useful for treatment, management, medication, exactly what you said. But always, you know, speak to a professional and find your own yeah management strategies. Absolutely love that. Okay, so I thought we would end with something a bit different today, and that involves debunking some myths of bipolar disorder. So I'm going to ask three questions, and I want you to tell me, is it a myth or is it a fact? Okay. Number one, people can stop taking their medication once their bipolar disorder is under control. Yeah, interesting. So 100% a myth, I would say that that makes perfect sense. And I'm still on my meds and I have been for years. However, I think so far it's been like, look, if it's not broke, don't fix it. But just like I said before, I think everything's malleable. I'm a very holistic person now. I've got, as we've discussed in length, I put a lot of things, behaviors and practices in my life to keep me happy. So I'm like, I'm actually saying never say never. I think one day I might come off these meds. However, in general, especially for bipolar one, no, you have to take your medication yeah. forever. Otherwise, it's dangerous. Correct. That's right. That's a myth. Taking medication for bipolar acts preventatively to help people avoid future manic or depressive episodes. And I just want to add to this. A lot of people will st- will stop coming to therapy and they then they come back like, I don't know what happened. I was feeling so good. So I just canceled my sessions and I'll say... Well, that's the problem. You stopped doing what was making you feel so good. So just because you feel good, don't stop the things that are making you feel good, i.e. medication or therapy. All right. Number two, myth or fact. Mania is fun and exciting. No, hypermania is fun and exciting. Mania is dangerous and irritating. (laughs) Yes, 
Fact. When people are experiencing mania, they may feel good, have lots of energy and can go to go without sleep for long periods of time. But while this might sound appealing, mania can also be an extremely unpleasant experience characterized by irritability, restlessness, and feeling out of control. So you're absolutely right. And the final one is bipolar disorder is mostly mania. Uh, no, no, but all the bipolars are defined by uh, extreme highs and lows. So I think the media just presents the manic part because it's fun to put in films and stuff, but there's there's a lot more to it. <laughs> yes, correct. Bipolar disorder features a wide range of mood disturbances, including mania, hypermania and depression. So that brings us to the end of today's episode. Rosie, you have been such a wealth of knowledge. Thank you so much for providing not only your lived experience, but just how people can get to the other side of mental illness by putting in place both a combination of Western medicine and, you know, health management strategies, Bali, travel, meditation, food, exercise, all that stuff. I absolutely loved having you here any parting words before we go any parting words no I feel like I covered it off thank you for having me it's it's been a long time I used to write about my mental health a lot and I used to really want to spread awareness and then there was kind of I think there was a point where I just thought you know what I don't don't relate to it so much anymore I'm happy now that I just kind of left it behind but it's really really nice to be able to reach people and you know if people are listening and they're in that dark space know that it gets better um and yeah like there is there's a light at the end of the tunnel (laughs) yeah I absolutely love that thank you so much Rosie you've been amazing if you enjoyed today's episode please let me know on Instagram take a screenshot leave a rating and leave a review and we will see you on the next episode on the what is eating you podcast hold up what was that Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.